Whether you're here in the room or joining us online, take out or turn on your copy of God's Word and go to John, the 12th chapter, the 12th chapter of John, and then find some way to record what God says to you today, whether that's a pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, and a piece of paper, or whether that's your two thumbs and your device in your hand. Don't miss the marvel of this moment. Why are we here? Do you ever stop and think about that? There were three sisters. One was 92, the other was 94, the third was 96. They were all widows, and so they were living together in a two-story house. One day, the 96-year-old decided to run herself a bath, but before she could get in the bath, she got a little confused. And so she yelled down to her sisters, I can't remember if I was getting in or if I was getting out of the bath. The 94-year-old sister said, that's okay. I'll be right up and see if I can help you. And so she starts up the stairs, but she gets about halfway, and then she yells down to the other sister, I can't remember if I was going up or if I was coming down the stairs. The 92-year-old sister sitting at the kitchen table drinking her coffee, and she says, my goodness, Lord, I hope when I'm as old as they are that my mind is not that bad. And then she just did this. She said, knock on wood. And then she said, I'll be up in just a second. Let me first go see who's at the door. (laughs) Sometimes we forget why we're here. And I have to tell you, as I look at churches across our land, across the world, and in our country alone, hundreds of churches close their doors permanently every month. The reason Mission Hill has two other campuses is because we're desperately trying to come alongside sister churches, neighborhood churches in our community and and not close the doors, but revitalize and breathe life. We've forgotten why we're here. Every time I read a Christian article, I'm reminded of some so-called professing follower of Christ that have said they've walked away from church or they're deconstructing their faith. They don't believe anymore. How do you get there? Do we understand what we're supposed to be doing? Do we know why we're here? Or are we a social club? Is this a civic organization? Is this just a religious institution that you're supposed to come to on occasion so you can check a box? Is this a a, a big group that, that you just join up with as long as you like the way they do it? And that you go somewhere else or you complain about when when you don't like the way something sounds or you don't feel comfortable? I want us to look at one of the most familiar stories in Scripture. In fact, this is a story that Jesus said would always be told. I mean, now think about that. Jesus Christ said, as long as humans are talking, they're going to talk about this. That's what he said in Matthew 26, verse 13. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, there there are some professing Christ followers that, that... take the person that's talking about Mary and, and they venerate her. They, they put her to a place as if this is all about making people think that Mary is who we should focus on. But that's missing the point here. 
But Jesus was saying something. I, I want you to walk away with this simple truth. The, the Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. And when Christians come together, it should be a gratitude party. Do you understand that? Let me say that again because, man, if you got it, I think you would respond differently. The Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and for what he's done. And when Christians come together, man, we should be having a gratitude party. That's what it should be all about. It seems simple, so let's dig in. This is John 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover. Now, if you're at all a student of the Scripture... You, you got to stop right there and go, whoa, 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 this is a big deal. This is an important time. That, that means you're entering into the last week of Jesus' life. This is his third Passover and his three years of ministry. So J John's saying this is the beginning of the end of what you've known. John in the first ten chapters gives us, really he goes back to pre-creation because he says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. That's how John 1-1 begins. And then he spends the remaining verses through chapter 10 just helping us get to know Jesus and really the three years of ministry that he has. And then the rest of John from chapter 11 through the end of the book is all about this last week of his life. So six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus lived. I'm so excited because we, we've already planned next May, we're going back to Israel, back to the Holy Land, and, and, and just to have the opportunity to walk where Jesus walked. I'm just telling you, it changes your faith. And so you can be there in Jerusalem and know exactly where Bethany is, just outside of the city, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, nard, not lard, there is a difference there, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In case I forget it, that's the response of worship. I don't want you to forget that line. When, when we've truly encountered who God is and what he's done and we worship him, the whole area where we've been is just filled with the aroma of the worship of Jesus. Hmm. The whole area was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. I object. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Sound like a church person. <laughs> it was a year's worth of wages, says the accountant, Judas. He does not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag. He used help himself to what was put into it. So now we're getting a little behind the veil into his heart it, what happened with the 30 pieces of silver in the story that most of the world knows about the betrayal of Judas, that, that was not the only time he had cheated. But then Jesus responds, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, Again, just a side note here, 
So Lazarus was a witness. We have no recorded words of Lazarus in the gospel, but he was a witness. Because of what Jesus has done in his life, people were coming to see him. You say, a witness is not just something you do, it's who you are. You can be a witness. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray once more, and let's talk about this passage. Father, we need you to speak to us now. Jesus, we want this time to magnify honor and bring worship and glory to you. Holy Spirit, move amongst us freely giving us what we need that we don't have, teaching us new things that we've not learned, making us different. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart please you. And as we hear this story, Jesus, that you said must be told every time the gospel is remembered, may we see what our response must be to your commands. Lord, I pray that today somebody would enter the kingdom of heaven because of this time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a lot here, but to really understand this, we need to look back to chapter 11. Chapter 11 begins with the second most well-known resurrection in human history, right? What's the first most well-known resurrection in human history? Jesus. If you're new here, just a reminder, I try to teach you, if I ask a question in a message, there's a good chance you can just say Jesus and get it right. If you would have said it like everybody else just now, you'd have gotten it right. Jesus. Well, the second most well-known is Lazarus, because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You remember the story? Chapter 11 begins at Mary, Martha, friends of Jesus. And, and by the way, Jesus had a crew. Jesus had people he was close to. Some would have called it a clique. Even among the disciples, he did. And it caused a little controversy because he would always hang out with Pete, James, and John. Remember that? Even when he went to the garden, he had three people with him. In the hardest moments of his human life, he had three of his closest friends that he could call. You were not intended to go through life alone. That's one of the reasons the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together so that you might stir one another up in the encouragement of the Lord. That's the reason we need church. You're loco if you're going solo. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus had these friends, Mary and Martha. Their brother, Lazarus, got sick. He was near death. They called Jesus to come heal him. Jesus said, I'll be there. He didn't make it before he died. Lazarus died. Remember the story? Sometimes you've prayed out to God, you've cried out to Jesus, and he's not done things the way you want. I'm just reminded as I read this story, sometime when we ask Jesus for silver and he doesn't give us silver, it's because he wants to give us gold. He's got something better in mind. And so Jesus, the Bible says four days later, Jesus decides to go see them. His disciples said, why are you going now? The man's already dead. Jesus says, well, I'm going to wake him up. He said, no, 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 he's not asleep, he's dead. Jesus said, just watch this. Jesus goes and raises him from the dead. And, and then notice what happens after this. That's what I want you to see. Verse 44 of John 11. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. 
Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everybody will believe in him. Imagine that. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Now, again, I've just got to stop and tell you what they're saying is something some of you who come to church don't understand. If you truly believe who Jesus is and what he's done, you can't help but believe in him. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest of that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it's better for you that one man might die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now this is funny. This is Caiaphas, not a follower of Jesus. This is the high priest. We're going to learn about him because Jesus is going to go to Caiaphas' house, another place, maybe one of the most impactful places I've ever visited in Israel, is you can go to the place where we believe is actually Caiaphas' house and stand where Peter stood as they watched while Jesus was on trial and Caiaphas sent him to his death. So what was Caiaphas saying here? He was just saying, hey, let's get rid of him. That'll help things. He didn't know he was actually prophesying. Look at verse 51. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Let me just tell you something. Jesus always divides. And so when you look around our world, and you listen to what we hear in our society, that can't we all just get along, and we just need to focus on love. I, I want you to understand, we want to love God, and we want to love others intentionally, but if we love God, we're going to understand that Jesus is always divisive. Isn't it interesting how people can experience the same thing and walk away with different responses? Ask any preacher you know if they understand that. You can preach a message and you can look out and you can see some person that's just raising their hand. They're praising the Lord. They're amening. They're crying. It looks like God's stirring. And then you have another person sitting in the same services and they send you an email about how upset they are about what you've said. That's always been the case. People can experience the same thing and give a different response. Some saw what Jesus had done and believed in him. Others saw and they plotted to kill him. They should have been throwing a party, but some of them were throwing a fit. That's still true today. Your response to Jesus is not based simply on the reality of who he is and what he's done. It also involves a receptivity of your heart and mind. You've got to decide whether or not you are going to be receptive to what Jesus wants to do in your life. Now, why is this the case? It's because you're either living for Jesus or you're living for yourself. That's the core issue between Christianity and every other world religion. Either you're in charge or you're saying, God, I'm going to give up control. And we don't like giving up control. When you choose to respond to God's grace and live for him, you give up control and that threatens us. So that's why from that day forward, they plotted to kill Jesus. One more thing, what I read about Caiaphas in verse 49, that's one of the most important theological truths in the Bible, because do you know what it, it's talking about? We call that substitutionary atonement. What Caiaphas said when he said, hey, it's better for one man to die than for everybody to die, that was God's plan. Understand the gospel. The gospel is that because of nothing you've done, just because of who you are, just because you were born, you were sentenced to death because you were born a sinner, separated from God. And that sin, if it's left undealt with, it's going to cause you to be separated from God forever. But God, in his love, in his mercy, 
In his justice, he decided it was better for one man to die than for all of you to die. And so Jesus died on the cross as our substitute. He was made atonement with God on our behalf. So chapter 12 is happening in the shadow that that's just happened. They're out to get Jesus. And so it begins by saying, now, six days before the Passover, there's a party. Matthew and Mark give it a little more light on the context of this story. This story is told in all four Gospels. But listen to Matthew 26, verses 6 and 7. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which he poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. So what Matthew and Mark also tells us is this takes place at the home of someone called Simon the leper. Now this is interesting. Because leprosy was a very contagious disease that caused you to be banished from society. So if you had leprosy, nobody wanted to be around you. So what do we know if Simon the leper is throwing a party? He didn't have leprosy anymore. He's been healed. And we know that Jesus healed people of leprosy. And so, just on a side note, Why is it that we church people always like to refer to people by what they used to do that was bad? Why is it? No, I know the the gospels inspired by the Holy Spirit of God written down by these godly men. but, But why didn't it say Simon the former leper who Jesus healed? You know, why do we have to say so and so the divorcee? Or such and such the former addict? You know, we we need to get to a place where we see people as God sees people. Man, when we do that, church, this room would be filled every week, two times, three times, four times to this capacity. Every campus would be filled because we would be reaching a community that needs the love of Jesus. So think about what this means. Simon, the former leper, is throwing a party. It's a gratitude party. (laughs) And he's looking around town and he's like, I wonder who else should come. I got an idea. What about the guy that was dead? So he invites Lazarus to the gratitude party to say thank you to Jesus. And when I hear that, I just think that's really what this should be. Every time we come together, it should be a gratitude party. I should come to worship and I should say, thank you, Jesus, for whatever reason. Outside of me, you gave me another day of life. You woke me up and put breath in my lungs this morning. You put food on my table. You put a roof over my head. You gave me a family. You saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Probably about 20 people present at this party. There's Simon, there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, there's Jesus. The disciples are there. We know that from the Gospels. There's probably some other family and friends. And everybody present responded in some way. What do you know about this party? Well, we read that Martha is doing what Martha normally does. What does Martha normally do? She's serving. There's no evidence she's complaining this time. One time she was serving and she went to Jesus and she said, Hey, can you make Mary serve? She didn't do that. She just, she's serving. There's joy in serving. Lazarus, you know what Lazarus is doing? I told you he doesn't talk. <laughs> he's just sitting. He's probably just still thinking, Whoa, I can't believe what happened. I mean, one minute I closed my eyes. The next minute I opened my eyes and there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm talking to David. The next minute my eyes are closed again. I open my eyes and there's my sister's. 
Mary's there. He's selflessly give, she's selfishly giving. She makes an extravagant gift to Jesus. And Jesus said, this gift is going to be remembered for the remainder of human history. But all of them were showing gratitude to Jesus. All of them were worshiping. That's what we should do. That's what I want you to get today. Every one of us, we should serve. We should just abide in the presence, practicing the presence of Jesus. We should give. But let's look a little deeper. In, in fact, let's include Simon, since he's already got a little bit of a bad rap. Remember our one truth. The Christian life should be lived with deep gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. And when Christians come together, we should throw a gratitude party. You ready to party? All right. How do we do that? Well, I heard John Maxwell say recently, what we appreciate, appreciates. In other words, what we value grows in value to us. So what should we be valuing? What do we demonstrate through our attitudes and actions that show we value who Jesus is and what he's done? First of all, look at Simon. Simon gave Jesus a place. It's that simple. Without Simon, there wouldn't be a house to party in. This is where it all begins. You never understand the need for gratitude until you give Jesus a place in your life. And there's only one place he wants. You know what place he wants? The throne room. He wants to be in charge. He don't want to be prominent or prevalent. He wants to be preeminent. If you truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done, you have no hesitation asking Jesus to occupy your heart and your mind. But you've got to decide, are you ready to give up control? Will you give him the place he deserves? And so I just want to ask you, this is a... a, a Big question, have you given Jesus the place he demands in your life? Now, the first step to doing that is surrendering control of your life to, to who he is. That means there's a moment in your life where you've acknowledged you're a sinner, you believe Jesus did die on the cross for your sin, you've trusted what he's done as enough, you've received his forgiveness, and you've said, Rest of my life, Lord, I want you in control. Have you given him the place he deserves? Simon gave Jesus a place. Martha gave Jesus her perspiration. <laughs> she just, she needed to work. And you know, we've been a little tough on her. Back off. Somebody's got to do it, right? Don't knock her for her service. Serving is a trait that every Christian must possess eventually. Jesus said in Matthew 20, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, for some, this comes natural. I told him I didn't know if I'd mention it, but I've just got to. I was riding in on the golf cart with my friend Charlie this morning, and Man, ever since the first day that Charlie and Kim Fultz walked into this church, they found something to do. And so I said, hey, are you, you're not on cameras this morning? He said, no, but i got to be doing something. And then he said, that's just the way I, I worship. That's, that's just the way I'm wired. 
And for some of you, that's service. And you don't, you don't care if your name ever gets mentioned. You don't care if anybody ever sees it. But, I mean, when we go over to lunch in a few minutes, you're going to be the one making sure everybody's got a chair and, and that things are where they need to be. For some of us, that's not as easy, though, right? For some of you, are like, oh, I guess I got to do this. Got to be like Jesus. <laughs> and you do. That's part of who we are. We perspire, we, we work, we serve him. And man, I just need you to know your church needs some more servants. As we begin to show this community that we really do see them like Jesus sees them and loves them like Jesus loves them, we need more of you to stand out even in the heat in the parking lot and welcome folks in. We need more of you to be greeters and, and welcome folks. We need more of you to serve with our preschoolers and our children and our students and, and make a difference in their lives. We need more of you to sing and to play and to work in our tech team. We're, we're just like most churches. 15% of the people do 85% of the work. We need you to serve. Martha gave Jesus her perspiration. Lazarus just gave Jesus his presence. Told you he didn't say anything. He's just hanging out with Jesus. I mean, can you, can you imagine? I mean, he's just sitting there looking at Jesus. I can't believe you brought me back to life. Man, you're so cool. How'd you do that? Man, Jesus. I, they told me you cried when you found out I was dead, Jesus. Oh, I love you so much. He's just worshiping Jesus. And, and some of you are like that. I, I'm kind of wired that way. Worship gets me. That, that's why you're, you'll see me being emotional. And after I walked off the stage earlier today, I kind of went behind that curtain. And I wasn't because I didn't want to be around people. I was just worshiping Jesus. And I didn't want to distract you. I was just singing as, as we were singing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I've witnessed what you've done in my life. Thank you that I know firsthand how you can change people. Thank you that I know what it's like to, to see a life turned around. I texted my friends Billy and Jonathan. Neither one of them could be here today, but I love watching them worship. You know something about both of their story? They both come out of addiction. God saved them out of a life of deep addiction. Now they lead our Celebrate Recovery ministry. But either one of them, and they come to different services, either one of them, when they're worshiping man, their hands are in the air. Both of these are men's men. Both of these men, man, they, they're tough guys, but they love Jesus. They're giving it all it's got. They, they're praising him with everything because they just know how grateful they are for what Jesus has done. And for some of you, that comes easy. For some of you, that doesn't come as easy. But guess what? Get over it. You got to worship. If you come to worship and you just sit here like this, that isn't saying anything about our sound system or our band or our style of music or who you see on stage. That's saying something about you. And it's time you wake up and realize everybody else sees you. We're called to worship. Some of us seem like we've gotten over Jesus. We walk around and say we're saved. If someone asks us, are you going to heaven when you die? We say, absolutely. But our life looks like we don't give a flip for what Jesus has done for us. They're more like some of the characters at the end of this story. We're, we're more focused on judging other people's worship than worshiping him ourselves. I've been off of social media for the last four or five weeks and 
I'm, it's been so encouraging because I get so tired of some of my brothers in ministry and some of the people I see on social media that all they can do is talk about how other Christians are worshiping Jesus wrong. Give me a break. Just get out there and worship him yourself. Psalm 42, Jesus, we're, we're, we're told from, from David about the worship of Jesus. He says, as the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you. And man, all of our Christian bookstores and our industry, we've kind of messed that up. Even the song. Andrew, we don't really sing that song. And I'm kind of glad because it's kind of like, as the deer pants for the water so I mean, we picture this calm little nice deer just looking around, listening to the birds, just Bambi drinking the water. No, you know what causes a deer to pant for water? They're being hunted. Their life is in danger. They don't know if they're going to make it. And he said, oh God, as the deer pants for the water, my soul just longs for you. That's why some of the songs we sing say, oh, my soul. When's the last time you've worshipped in such a way that your soul was starved? When's the last time you've worshipped in such a way that your tear ducts began to move? <laughs> Worship is not based on your circumstances. One of the sweetest moments of worship in my life it was about three years ago. We had just made it back into the room knowing that my dad's moments were few on this earth. And my brother and sister-in-law and wife, we just sat around his bed, just holding his hands, looking at him, and we just began to sing. We were just singing to an old country singer's album of hymns, and we came to How Great Thou Art, O Lord My God. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And then when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I will bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Oh, I pray that, I pray that you find a way just to be present with Jesus Time's about out, but I'm just telling you, it's evident to me, the shepherd in me, there's a lot of you that something's caused you to grow cold in your faith. Just cry out to him today, God, restore that joy of my salvation. Give me that hunger, that thirst for you. Help me to see what's in me that's keeping me from practicing your presence, because it's not about him. There's got to be something in you. Simon gave Jesus a place. Martha gave Jesus her perspiration. Lazarus gave Jesus his presence. But the story Jesus told us we'd remember is about Mary. Mary gave Jesus her perfume. Mary gave, and like others, that comes uh, easier for some of us than it does for others of you. 
Some of you, just me saying that Mary gave, you like tensed up. Um, I didn't know he was going to talk about giving. I mean, I can see your face. You look like you've been nursing on a dill pickle. I mean, it's... You, you don't like it when we talk about this. Why? Because when we talk about giving, it's just like our salvation. We're giving up control of something that we think is ours. And we're missing the fact that Scripture has already taught us everything we have that's any good came from Him. You really think you've got something on your own that you earned, that you deserved? Well, someone pointed out you always find Mary at the feet of Jesus find her learning from Jesus. You find her praying to Jesus when Lazarus died. Here you find her giving. You're going to find her grieving. Amazing things happen at the feet of Jesus. Here she gives. Now, I just want to tell you, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You okay? You can give even to your church and it not be from your heart. But you can't have your heart stirred by the creator of the universe and not figure out a way to be generous. So, so how did she do that? Number one, Mary gave what she had. She gave what she had. God didn't want you to give something you don't have. So she gave this jar of nard perfume. It had come from very rare high pasture lands of either China, Tibet, or India very far away and so it was very valuable now I've traveled the world and I've been places I can remember going to a mall in Dubai and, and seeing perfume and seeing the price on that and thinking who buys this stuff I mean I've I've bought perfume for my bride that was kind of pricey but nothing like that very costly how do we know that? Because the treasurer's there. Judas, the money guy, the accountant. And no offense, but I just want to say, I've, I've learned 30 years in ministry. Sometime, if God's gifted you and given you that accounting brain, and that's kind of the way you work through things, this faith thing is hard to, it's hard to embrace. Because you're used to living in a number with red, black, and white on paper. And so the accountant says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you know how much that's worth? In the NIV, it says it's a year's wage, 300 denarii. Now, a, a denarius was a day's wage. So really, if, if it's a, a year's wage, 365 denarius. Now, I did some research. Some of you got some good news about to, about to happen. The end of September, the minimum wage in Florida goes up to $12 an hour. It's going up every September until, I think, 2026. All right? So if it's 300 days, that would be $20,640 in, in our money. If it's a year, like NIV says, it would be $24,960. Does that help you just understand this was a big deal? And she takes that, the most valuable thing she has, probably, really only two things she probably was saving it for, either for her dowry to be given when she was married or for burial of someone she loved. Stored in an alabaster jar, and all the Gospels tell us that she breaks that and then begins to pour it on Jesus. 
Let me just ask you a question before I give you the second thing. Are you currently giving generously of what you have in gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done? That, that's, the, that's the question. Not are you giving what a preacher thinks you should give or are you giving what you were taught? Well, I'm not, who cares? Are you giving generously of what you have in gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done? She gave what she had. Secondly, she gave while she could. You know what I've seen all my life? I see a lot of one-day Christians. Boy, one day, we're going to serve in our church. One day, preacher, we're going to be able to show up so much, you're going to get tired of seeing us. One day, I had this one guy, every time I saw him, preacher, I'm just telling you, one day, I'm going to give a big old gift to the church. It's a lot of one-day Christians. That wasn't Mary. Mary gave while she could. She looked at what she had and she made a decision to give. The death of Jesus would transpire in such a way that it, they wouldn't have time for his body to be anointed. And they would do that when they buried somebody. You know why? Because they did not embalm people. <laughs> they would anoint them so the smell wouldn't be so bad that it would come out of the tombs. And then they would bury them. But with Jesus, they didn't have time. That's why on the first Sunday, the ladies were going to do what? To anoint his body. So what did Jesus say? When Judas complained, he said, shut up. He said, she's anointing me for burial. They didn't understand it in the moment. But Jesus was saying, hey, she's doing what nobody else will do when she can do it. I had an old preacher I once heard, he said, do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. <laughs> Man, we're in the midst of the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of our nation. And, and yet, hear me, if you're 65, 70 and older, just listen. Facts, the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of our nation, and yet most of it from Christ followers that have served their churches all their life, most of it is going to descendants who aren't living for the Lord. So if you want to make a difference with what you have for the kingdom of God, there's no time like the present. The right time to do the right thing is always when? Right now. Number three, Mary gave how she should, with passion and joy. According to other passages, what we know is, is that, now listen, if Mary was just going to clean Jesus' feet, that would have been normal because we're already told they're reclining at the table. They're walking around in sandals. Who wants to recline at a table where some dirty feet all up next to the fried okra? I mean, that is not good. So it would have been normal for her to clean his feet. But from the other gospels, you know what we know? You know what it says? She poured it on his head. She like took that year's wage worth of perfume and she said, Jesus, you're worth it all. That's how I want to live. I want to be all in. I don't have all the answers. I may not have all the accounting figured out. But oh, when I stand before God one day, I, I, I don't want him to say, man, why were you so cheap? Why didn't you trust me? Did you think you invented this thing? Why didn't you trust me? I would tell you, there's always a financial trail to the things you're most passionate about. Did y'all hear that? 
There's always a financial trail to the things you're most passionate about. So maybe you just need to ask, what is Jesus wanting me to give today? Well, that, that's a powerful story. Don't you like that story? You kind of understand why Jesus said, we're going to tell this from now on. Good job, Mary. But remember, Jesus divides. So not everybody's thinking in the right way. You could even be a part of the party and not celebrate with gratitude. And you know what that means? That means you're just a consumer. You're just a bystander. You're not a worshiper. Oh, I wish I had time. You know the difference between a consumer and a worshiper? A consumer is the one that walks in and says, I I can't worship to that song. A consumer is the one that says, well, I'm going to have to go to another church where my children can be a little more entertained. A consumer was the one that says, well, I don't know, that steps on my toes a little much. A worshiper says, I'm, I'm there for Jesus. And whether or not the singer's on tune or off tune or my style or their style, I want to give my best to him. A worshiper, a worshiper says, I want to go to a church that may not be the funnest, coolest, or have the best facilities, but I want to make sure they're preparing my child to be a disciple of Christ because in this world, it's tough. A worshiper says... I want to hear the word of God, so give me a message that proclaims the word of God. Oh, I don't want to be a consumer. It's not about how you feel or what you want or how comfortable you are. All of us are on this continuum between gratitude and entitlement. So, one of the disciples, Judas, objects. We should have sold this money, this perfume, and given the money to the poor. Sounds good. I've heard it in this church. I've heard it when we began our campaign to renovate. There are folks that have left our church, and this is what they said. You should have used that money to do something for the poor. I was reserved. I didn't say thank you, Judas. So what was, that's a true story. I'm just telling you. I, I want to be vulnerable with you. We got to get this right. It's too important. So Jesus says, you're always going to have the poor with you. Now, what was he saying? Was he saying, don't care about the least of these? Not at all. Because all throughout his ministry, he had done that. In fact, he says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you're making a difference. Jesus was saying, keep your priorities right. Keep the main thing the main thing. It wasn't a prohibition for caring for the poor. He wants us to do that. It's just a reminder that he's the main thing. And if you do the good things, but you forsake the main thing, then you're doing the wrong things. And all you have to do, all you have to do is look at Christian universities in this country and around the world that were founded for the name of Christ, and now, go look. Go look at some of the charities. Charities like World Vision, some of you give to perhaps, that was started to, to help children in the name of Jesus, and now they've changed their policy that, that you can't even mention Jesus' name. Oh, if you forget the main thing, you're doing the wrong thing. Before we're too hard on Judas, you know what Matthew told us? All the boys were there. Matthew 26, 8 says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? How easy it is to get off track. That's why we needed this reminder today. The magnitude of the mission always calls us for extravagant generosity. Don't have to be rich to be generous. 
Just have to be generous. Somebody said generosity is like romance. It works on any budget. Tomorrow, by God's grace, tomorrow, by God's grace, Kimberly and I celebrate 30 years of marriage. Wow. I'll never forget our first date. And, man, I didn't do everything right. I did a lot wrong. And our, our first date, I kind of caught her at the last minute. And I didn't know this, but she had already eaten. And so we went to Chili's, and I ordered. And I ordered the same thing uh, over 32 years ago that I still order today at Chili's. I won't tell you what it is. But I ordered that, and then it came time for her to order. She said, I'm, I'm not ordering anything. Now, I was a seminary student, so in my head... I was thinking, what is, why, she not ordered anything. And she said, I've already eaten. In my heart, I was saying, thank you, Jesus, I don't have money. <laughs> and so, you know, when we started that, we didn't have anything. We don't have much more now some days, it seems like. But romance wasn't based on a budget. Neither is generosity. There's always going to be two crowds. Those who passionately worship Jesus and those who critically judge the way others do. You've just got to decide where you are in the crowd. That's my question to you today. How are you responding to the lavish love and the gracious grace of Jesus? The next seven days changed human history. And these next few moments could change yours. So here's what I'm going to ask. Would you like to throw a gratitude party? I, I know we're a little longer than we usually are, but is that okay? Would you like to throw a gratitude party, church? Amen. You see, some of you, some of you need to be like Martha. Man, you've been sitting on the sideline. You're so gifted. If, if we knew the abilities and the gifts that you have, we'd probably be mad at ourselves that we didn't know. But it's because you're sitting on the sideline, and it's, it's time for you to serve. And today, you need to, to find somebody and say, hey, I, I've not been doing anything, but, but I want to do it. I, I want to get in there like Martha and make a difference. And if you tell that to one of our staff and, and you don't get plugged in, then you come find me and grab me by the collar. I think you'll get plugged in. Some of you need to do what uh, old Lazarus did. Just a moment, we're going to sing, and you just need to let it loose. You just need to worship. You may want to come down here and pray, and this is just you in the presence of Jesus. You may be one of the singers or one of the band, and you just need to look at Andrew and say, i got to go, and you just need to worship. You may need to just do something you don't normally do and raise both hands as we sing. Some of you need to be like Mary. In fact, I already prayed through this. There's probably somebody here that could make that $26,000 gift today. For some of you, $2.60 would be sacrificial. For some of you, $26,000 would not even be sacrificial. Some of us are in between that. But you need to give in response to what God's done. But some of you need to give Jesus the place that he desires. Would you bow your heads with me? Have you done that? Has there been that time in your life where you've surrendered control? If not, 
Man, we're about to begin to sing. There are going to be pastors from our church that are standing here. I'll be standing here. I'm not going to pray a prayer with you today. I, I want you to respond to the Spirit of God and just begin to come down. And if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you know you, you need to be saved, your life needs to be changed, you come take my hand, Pastor Zach's hand. You take Pastor Nick's hand or Pastor Gary or Pastor Lucas or, or Pastor Caleb, somebody's hand, and just say, I, I, need, to, I need to know Christ. We want to introduce you to him. Some of you just need to start a gratitude list. You're just thinking about what Jesus has done for you, how he's given you salvation or healing or restoration or he's helped your marriage or he's given you freedom from addiction. He's provided for you. I want us just to spend these moments just thanking God for who he is. We're going to sing a song. I want you to hear what it says. It says, I've got one response. Just one move with my arms stretched wide. I'll worship you. So I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. Because all I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it's not much. But I've got nothing else fit for a king. Except for a heart singing hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you work in our midst? God, we've all been to a lot of church services. We don't need just to close this down. We just want to worship you. Oh, God, hear our, hear our gratitude. Holy Spirit, convict in our hearts whatever the moment of decision may be. Lord, help us to respond for your glory. We worship you, Lord. Would you stand together with me? We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All my words.